0: Hey everyone. Like many of you, I sometimes struggle with willpower. Well, okay, I guess technically his full name is William Power. He's my bully on Reddit. But I also struggle with sticking to goals. Well, today's book is The Willpower Instinct by Professor Kelly McGonigal, who really transfigured my understanding. It's a book of interesting willpower tips that may be true or may not be. I tried diving into the literature but quickly lost the willpower.
1: And this is The Book Pile. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and one time I went three years without soda, and it was the first three years of my life. (laughs) And
0: I'm David Vance. When I was a kid, I thought the Pachycephalosaurus was one of the coolest dinosaurs, so I used my willpower to force myself to headbutt brick walls. (laughs) And for some reason, I just thought I should be able to do it. And I was so ashamed at how
1: much it hurt because I thought that was a (laughs) weakness. You actually did it? This is real. (laughs) All right. Please feel free to leave us a rating and review. JZW12 says... My wife and I love to listen to this podcast. She likes to listen to the new episodes together, but I usually have more time to listen to podcasts. You can tell that this argument has happened several times with them. (laughs) Let's weigh in. (laughs) Because then he explains that he'll often listen to a podcast, and then when they're listening together, he'll be like, hey, a good joke is coming up. And she's like, what? (laughs) I wonder if they treat everything like this, like he's just a perpetual clickbait headline machine, <laughs> like they're watching Game of Thrones. And he's like, you're not going to believe who dies next. <laughs> That's
0: going to make her furious when one of us inevitably
1: dies on air. <laughs> but he ends it with... Uh... Which is to say, I enjoy this podcast so much, it's worth listening to each episode twice. And he's got to know that I'm going to react with only twice? Okay. (laughs) No, but thanks, JZW12. All right, little reminder, we
0: are posting these episodes audio only on YouTube. The link is in the episode description. And thank you to the people who already commented on Romeo and Juliet. We're really enjoying talking to you. And we want to keep hearing from you. So leave a comment on this one if you have thoughts. Finally, our next two books are A Roast of the Transformers, the novel, very exciting, and Enlightenment Now. All right, I have a weird relationship with this book. I've mentioned many times, Kellen, that ever since I read Why We Sleep, I have trust issues because I've never been cheated on by a woman, but I feel like I've been cheated on by a book. (laughs) So with The Willpower Instinct, I really liked it a couple years ago when I first read it, but today I researched it for this podcast and now I'm pretty mixed cuz now I would title this book Ideas That Make Intuitive Sense which is good cuz some of these studies are real weak. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll talk about that but but what did you think? Yeah, I thought this book was super helpful in providing actual things you can do to not just strengthen your willpower but to understand it. Like the idea that willpower is not just a thought process but literally like a resource that it gets depleted as the day goes on. So now I try and do the hardest task of my day first. Like, I'll make dinner for my kids at 7 a.m. and then make them eat that dinner at 7 a.m. And even when they're like, but daddy, roast beef? I'm like, no, it's a win-win because now you don't have to eat dinner tonight. That's why when I get a new cat, I first do the hardest thing of burying it. (laughs) No, but I will mention a couple things during this episode that really have worked for me. But like you, I will say that there were a few times that I didn't, not that I didn't agree with parts of the book, but I wasn't sure how well she got to her conclusion. Like she'll go from citing a study done by a university that seems credible, but then immediately she'll just tell a story about like one of her students. (laughs) Like this one where she told this story Uh, about how one of her students was having a tough time not eating candy. So he would put a candy jar in a place where he would walk by it often and then have to (laughs) ignore it. You know what they say at
0: AA? Hang out with as many alcoholics as possible.
1: (laughs) So you can get even better at resisting their urges. I'm just imagining someone strengthening their willpower and their gym is just a frat party of guys going, chug, chug, chug. And he's just standing there with his fists clenched like, yes.
0: (laughs) Feel the willpower growing. (laughs) What's funny, Kellen, is that central idea you were describing of your willpower depleting over the day, the idea is called ego depletion. And now there's a big controversy over whether that even no, exists. No, <laughs> But with that said, it's an idea that has been very helpful for me. I wake up now and I do the hardest things first, and I've gotten a lot of value out of that. So that's actually my attitude for this book is, mm. these things may or may not be scientifically proven. Just try them and see if they
1: work for you. Yeah. All right. And without further ado, here are four lessons that we took from the willpower instinct. Lesson one, take a deep breath. Here's a quote from the book. You won't find many quick fixes in this
0: book, but there is one way to immediately boost willpower. Meth. No, she says, (laughs) slow your breathing down to four to six breaths per minute. This activates the prefrontal cortex and increases heart rate variability, which helps shift the brain and body from a state of stress to self-control mode. A few minutes will make you feel calm, in control, and capable of handling cravings or challenges. Hmm. So I'm I'm torn on this cuz on the one hand I'm a huge believer in deep breathing. This might be TMI but Lately, I've been getting this stress response where I'm working on a project and then I just start gagging. (laughs) I don't know why. And it's really hard to hide it when you're (laughs) mid-conversation. But yesterday, I sat down and for five minutes, I did deep breathing and meditation, and it has fully gone away since then. So it could be placebo, but I'm a big fan, as long as I don't have to explain to Kellen why I'm retching at his jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so that's one side. But on the other hand, she's making some really big claims here. And I looked up a
1: study she's citing. Kellen, you want to guess the
0: sample size?
1: Oh, man. (laughs) I'm a big advocate of this, too. So I'm hoping it's at least a few hundred people. Five women. (laughs) Oh, no. One of the core (sighs) studies
0: she cites for this. Isn't that wild? (laughs) With the right sample group of five women, I could do a study showing everyone in the world is a Spice Girl. (laughs) And it's funny because I think it's actually really plausible that deep breathing helps willpower.
1: I just can't believe she's
0: using such confident language based on that evidence. Does
1: she just walk into elevators with a clipboard like, all right, we don't have much time. (laughs) Tell me something about the entire world.
0: (laughs) So my takeaway is try deep breathing and see if it helps your willpower, but don't go based off of this.
1: (laughs) Also... If you're trying to use deep breathing to strengthen your willpower, to resist the temptation, just don't do it too close to the cocaine. (laughs) Deep breathe
0: to quit cocaine and cigarettes. Flex your thumb to quit heroin. (laughs) (laughs)
1: All right. Lesson two, be bad at meditating that's the caption that I want to put on that famous photo of Buddhist monks outside on their phones. (laughs) The context being, uh, and I mean the context of bad meditation, not those monks, what they were doing is unforgivable. If you don't feel like you're good at meditating because you think that meditation is only about clearing your mind and you struggle with that, that is a good thing. Unless you're talking Mm -hmm. to Morpheus because he generally requires it. First of all, It's because the practice of meditation is really less about giving yourself a perfectly clear head and more about just becoming aware of when you get distracted so that you can gently guide yourself back to whatever it was you were focusing on, like your breathing or my face. (laughs) Fun fact, regular meditators have more gray matter in their prefrontal cortex Which is fine unless you're wearing something that day that doesn't match. (laughs) I'm kidding. Everything goes with gray.
0: Wouldn't it be so cool to just be able to see everyone's brains through their forehead?
1: (laughs) No. It sure makes the NFL more interesting. (laughs) Actually, I guess I wouldn't mind it because then it would take people's attention away from my baldness. So they found that – and this isn't just her – uh, after five minutes a day for eight weeks, researchers found increased self-control, self-awareness, and reduced anxiety. Um, and after just 11 collective hours of meditation, physical change is already visible in the brain, specifically showing new connections in the areas that execute focus and impulse control. The fun part about 11 collective hours means you can just do this in a day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the true spirit of meditation. (laughs) Yeah, just get it all in at once. I do think it's funny. Dave, have you ever heard this? Uh, Some people have the reaction of, ugh, I don't like meditating because I just fall asleep. (laughs) It's like, if you're living a life in a way where the moment you allow your mind to hit the brakes, you conk out and complain about it, (laughs) guess what? I think you need sleep. (laughs) No, no. See, because I meditate four
0: hours a night (laughs) on my back, dreaming of the most traumatic things that ever happened to me. (laughs) This is unrelated. I don't know what's going on, but the past couple nights, I dreamed my house was on fire, and then I dreamed I was on a plane, and I checked like 10 different things to make sure I wasn't dreaming, but then I woke up, and yeah, I had been
1: dreaming. (laughs) So this is fun for me because I I have a couple checks, too, to start lucid dreaming. What are your checks?
0: Well, I don't have good ones because every time in a dream I check to see if I'm dreaming, I always conclude that I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Another super reliable one for me is looking down at what I'm wearing and realizing I don't own any of these clothes. Huh. And another one is that I have this little specifically weighted top that I will spin. (laughs) Man, you are much more
0: logical in your dreams than I am. (laughs) Because I'll look around like on a road trip with a dead founding father and my uncle Rufus, checks out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then often I'll find that like, I'll steal a monster truck and then wake up and be like, oh man, I thought that was real. (laughs)
0: Few things are worse than waking up from an incredibly good dream. (laughs) There was a time in college when I had a real bad, unreciprocated crush. And I had two dreams where something good between us happened. And I immediately was like, what? And it woke my body up. (laughs) My mind was like, nope, this isn't plausible. (laughs) That was my spinning
1: top. (laughs) That's so funny because the only vaguely similar experience I've had was recently waking up and being so bummed that I wasn't actually best friends with Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's crazy in a dream how you're like, yeah, this is just how my whole life has always been. So my takeaway on meditation (laughs) is, (laughs) I just like this quote from the book. Meditation is not about getting rid of all your thoughts. It's learning to not get so lost in them that you forget what your goal is. Mm -hmm. Don't worry if your focus isn't perfect when meditating. Just practice coming back to the breath again and again. Mm. I bet I made everyone just fall asleep. (laughs) All right, lesson three.
0: (laughs) Here are some possibly good ideas you should try, but also authors should stop drawing such strong conclusions from fuzzy data. (laughs) At one point, she says, According to the American Psychological Association, the most effective stress relief strategies are exercising or playing sports, praying or attending a religious service, reading, listening to music, spending time with friends or family, getting a massage, going outside for a walk, meditating or doing yoga, and spending time with a creative hobby. The least effective strategies are gambling, shopping, smoking, drinking, eating, playing video games, surfing the internet, and watching TV or movies for more than two hours. And first, okay, interesting, definitely things worth trying. But second, she says that's from the American Psychological Association, but there's no source. So what, they just like told you that in conversation? You were you were in the cafeteria and the American Psychological Association sat down at your lunch table? I think it's from the 2008 APA stress survey. And if it is, grain of salt. Because first, they're not like measuring people's cortisol or anything. They just ask people, think back and did this help your stress? Well, at that point, you're probably trying to impress the surveyor. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, when I'm stressed, I don't eat ice cream. I... Pray. (laughs) So my my takeaway is a lot of these things are probably helpful, but we got to stop being so
1: certain about fuzzy research. Mm. Well, interesting segue into my next point. (laughs) Lesson four, some of the things we turn to can turn on us. So referring to that same study by the APA, but in a way that isn't manipulative, again, some of the things that people turn to to cope with stress are eating, drinking, shopping, watching TV, and designing arenas for the next annual Hunger Games, which I thought was a weird one. But I can't say that I haven't done that when things have gotten stressful. (laughs) And this one's going to have fire traps in the bushes. Anyway, eating, drinking, the internet, things that easily activate the brain's reward system. I loved this quote. She says, more often the things we turn to for relief end up turning on us. Because in the same survey from the APA, they found that some of these common strategies to cope with stress were also rated as the most ineffective by the same people who are a part of the study. She says, the promise of reward combined with the promise of relief can lead to all sorts of illogical behavior. Um, Shopping addicts shop more. Binge eaters turn to eating. Procrastinators put things off more. Sad heart surgeons just can't stop cutting into people. You ever seen that? (laughs) Like a sad surgeon at a Denny's. (laughs) That's why I always wear thick shirts. (laughs) But again,
0: I'm like... I think these people are lying. I do not think that the second most
1: common stress relief tactic is exercise. (laughs) (laughs) In America. (laughs) You know how when you drive past a Dunkin' Donuts, there are way more people out for a jog on the sidewalk? (laughs) What's funny is that even with people lying,
0: gardening is still almost at the bottom. (laughs) I guess here's how I feel. There are many times I agree with her conclusions, or some of her conclusions, while thinking that the evidence she provides is very flimsy.
1: And I see what you mean about how she's drawn some of the conclusions, or where she gets to them, because it's almost like saying, yeah, you should eat kale because it turns into little people inside your body that fix things. And it's like, (laughs) kale does help you. (laughs) You should eat it. (laughs) Not sure about the little people part. I don't know if you ever read sideways stories from
0: Wayside School, no. but there's this character who always does math the wrong way, but gets the right answers. <laughs> so you'd, you'd be like, what's three plus two? And he says, let's see, six, eight, 10, 15, five. <laughs> I'm sure I'm misremembering some part of that, but sometimes that was how I felt where I'm like, oh, I agree with your conclusion and your reason is real wonky. <laughs>
1: I think sports especially can be a helpful one. And I'm not even much of an athlete, but Dave, you've pointed out that sports are helpful because they trick you into exercise by making it fun. <laughs> like You mentioned on a previous episode that you wouldn't just go on a series of sprints but you will play basketball. And on a similar note, I think lots of people wouldn't just hop around and swat their arms for exercise, but they will do it to avoid getting hit by high-speed pickles. (laughs) I've never played pickleball, but I'm guessing that's what happens.
0: No, yeah, you got it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So the main difference between stress relievers that don't work and the ones that do is that the ones that don't will give you a short dopamine boost eating, gambling, smoking. They they just give you the promise of reward, but the ones that can be more lastingly effective, exercise, sports, meditating, being with friends and family, they release mood-enhancing chemicals like serotonin as well as the feel-good hormone oxytocin. So my takeaway is that when it comes to relieving stress, do good things and not bad things. (laughs) (laughs) All right, random facts. I
0: looked up one of the studies she cites, and I couldn't believe how much they sound like villains. Here are some quotes. We manipulated heavy smokers' beliefs about the amount of control they had over their cigarette cravings, and then had them play a game that pitted the temptation to smoke against the opportunity to win money. (laughs) To manipulate impulse control beliefs, we gave all participants a bogus test, which purportedly revealed their capacity for impulse control. (laughs) And then they would have some heavy smokers Put a cigarette in their mouth And try not to smoke it Because their willpower is so strong (laughs) And they found that the ones they lied to Would take on challenges that were way too tempting And then cave to them
1: (laughs) She's like In another study We put two people in a room Handcuffed one of their arms And put a saw between them (laughs) In one study, we put 24 children
0: in an arena with a cornucopia in the middle. (laughs) In this experiment, we had a series of indebted participants go through squid based
1: games. (laughs) I haven't seen squid games either, but that's really funny. Squid based games. In one part of the book, she's talking about the positive reaction that we have to samples at the grocery store. And out of nowhere, in a book that is basically humorless, she has, like, the craziest, like, implied R-rated joke. <laughs> she says, quote, oh, no. samples combined two of the greatest promises of reward, free and food. And if there's an attractive spokesperson handing out the samples, you can throw in a third F, and then you're really in trouble. Like, oh, my gosh. What? <laughs>
0: is there any chance she meant flirting or something or (laughs) frivolity i
1: can only hope because what a crazy jump of a joke was she looking for someone to do punch-up on her manuscript but the guy she hired was like look i only do one joke per book (laughs) i promise it'll be crazy they will remember this (laughs) So again going off of questionable research. She says that Cornell University did a study that estimated that we make an average of 226 food rated food related decisions per day. Wow. I just I need to know what those are though cuz I have a hard time believing that. Like <laughs> yeah. I I can think of 3 food related decisions I make a day, <laughs> maybe a fourth at night. Are they counting stuff like how you have to decide to put every bite of food in your mouth. (laughs) And like, should I swallow this time? Like, what is your life? If you're thinking about food every three minutes that you're awake, are you a cow? (laughs) Like, cows are the only animal I've seen where every time I've seen one in my life, it was eating. Like, even the ones (laughs) who are actively pooping.
0: Are still eating.
1: Or just like, oh, this grass is good here.
0: Maybe they count every decision to do anything as a decision to not eat food. (laughs) Like, oh, after the bathroom, do I wash my hands with soap or delicious cheese? (laughs) All right, this book could also be called Pay No Attention to the Studies Behind the Curtain.
1: (laughs) It could also be called... Dodge those pickles. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: if you want to be someone with willpower, gotta get with my friends. (laughs) All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from The Willpower Instinct. One, take a deep breath. Two, be bad at meditating. Three, here are some possibly good ideas you should try, but also authors should stop drawing such strong conclusions from fuzzy data. And four, what we turn to can turn
1: on us. And five... If you're one of those people who hands out samples at Costco and you're hot, will you stop?